0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number Store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst, and making his debut, Seb stafford 4 for 442. Sunday sees the Mourinho derby. Chelsea at Man United. But before then, each has the little matter of the Champions League. Barca are at the bridge. Memories of that Iniesta goal nine years ago will be vivid.
2: Revenge in the air? <laughs> well, I think quite a few things have happened since then, so I'm not sure that the players will, will have that on their mind, really. It's a new... It's one of the great memories, though. Oh, it is, yeah. Fantastic. I mean, Chelsea versus Barcelona is, uh, has become an iconic Champions League fixture, hasn't it? We've seen some some unbelievable tussles, really. I remember Fernando Torres going through in that, in that Champions League semi-final, John Terry course getting sent off at, at the Camp new. but look this is this is all about Chelsea and can they keep up with the other English clubs who have been sensational really I think in, in this season's competition it's taken me by surprise actually the way that, I, that, that the Premier League teams have bossed some of the overseas opposition but look, they're coming up against a, a seriously good Barcelona team and uh, when I think about this game tactically I'm looking at that central midfield and for me that's Chelsea's weak link this season with Bakayoko not having a good time. Conte slightly off it. Fabregas fabulous going forward. Not so good without the ball. I just think that four-man diamond that Barcelona have got could monopolise and control this game.
1: Mm. Do you think Chelsea are capable of matching the standards of the other English
3: sides? Oh, it's a, it's a really high standard to match, Mike. I mean, it's... Um, it's I, I think Chelsea and Manchester United are probably the least least equipped to, to actually play as Liverpool and Tottenham did last, last week. I mean, I think the, the, the success Spurs had in Turin and to a greater extent Liverpool in, in Porto is that sort of enforcing a, a very British style of play on their opponents. The um, accepted wisdom about 20 years ago used to be that you had to, you had to adapt and modify your way of playing to, to sort of almost suit a European stage and you just saw this, this amazing energy and cohesion from both sides and i think as adrian said before the one thing you associate you don't associate with chelsea at the moment is cohesion it seems very disjointed especially in midfield the defense has i don't know, kind of, it, its standard has certainly slipped in recent weeks and also the front line doesn't function as as it, as it has done and i think one of the features of last week was the front line pressure that both spurs and liverpool exerted on their opponents. And you don't see Chelsea being able to match that. And I think that's a huge... With, with a team who, who enjoy possession as much as Barcelona
2: do, I, I think that's going to be a huge problem. And you've got to think about Conte this season. And Conte, who I rate as a coach, I think he's a fantastic tactician, or he has been. But he's got into a habit this season, even on home turf, of being cautious. Too cautious, probably. And my hunch because he's up against Messi, Suarez and co, is that he'll go cautious again. And I think that is a dangerous game to play because, unfortunately, this Chelsea back three, back five, isn't as strong as it was last season. So, um, look, he may, he may surprise us all and really unle- unleash everything at Barcelona, but I, I don't believe he will.
1: Yeah, to that point, Seb, you know, Chelsea are a strange club. You know, We, we yeah. talk about the political internal dynamics of it. They're driven to
3: win... But are they doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past? It certainly seems that way. I mean, Chelsea have always, certainly within the Abramovich era, they've always operated within these little cycles where you know there's a, a jolt to the system, there's a huge flow of cash which, which are kind of powers a restructuring, um, and then they move on from that point until whatever it is happens between you know the ownership structures and the manager and the executives at the club that, that sort of that causes a fracture. Um, the worry I'd have for Chelsea is that. Uh, it's a it's a very strange thing to say, but it's almost as if having an oligarch bankroll you is is not enough in football anymore, and so you know when a managerial change happens, there isn't kind of this sort of overwhelming financial primacy which supports it. So I, I, I doomed to failure might be a little strong for me, but sort of doomed to um, doomed to suffer kind of transient um, adjustment periods might be might be might be how I'd put it.
1: Mm-hmm. With a with a. Uh, you know, from your playing career, yeah. a, players have got a sixth sense for a managerial weakness. Mm-hmm. Chelsea have a history of being a very political dressing room. Oh yes. How do you imagine the internal dynamics going into this game?
2: Oh, that's, that's a good question. I don't. I, none of us really know, do we? That's the, that's the question. That's the point. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't think that the players have down tools for Antonio Conte. I think the fact that they realise or suspect that change is in the air this summer doesn't help. Because um, yeah, if you if you know that that guy's on his way, then I think there is a slight the five percent, three percent, whatever it is, you just you just maybe don't push yourself quite as much, I'm not doing it on purpose. Um, so no, it's a it's a strange situation. It's not ideal, but but a lot of these Chelsea players are used to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I find it really interesting with with Eden Hazard because yeah. you know everyone's talking mm. about Real Madrid,
1: but he's being quite coy about it and quite calm about it. Mm maybe he knows what's going to go
2: on eventually. I don't know. What well, Eden Hazard's being calm about yeah. It. yeah, look, Eden Hazard's got his eye probably on a move himself, hasn't he? I just get the feeling that the time for him to move on is coming. I would imagine there'll be no shortage of suitors for him. And, yeah, look, as a player as well, from my experience, you get fed up with change. You start to get used to a certain manager. You like that manager, he likes you. Then they're gone, and then you're back to square one. I mean, in Eden Hazard's case, most managers are going to like him, um, although he had his moments, didn't he, with Jose Mourinho? So, um, so now it, it, it there will come a point where Chelsea's players, the ones that have been through a few managers, just think, you know what, I'm out of here as well. This is this is getting a little bit a bit tiresome now.
3: Do you think, um, just on Hazard? Do you think maybe he's he's probably he's presumably watched. Um, Players he'd probably consider at least his equals or maybe even his inferiors get enormous wage rises in, in, in recent months. He's also probably aware that, um, whilst not quite at the end, Leo Messi and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo are nearing the end of their dominance of the Ballon d'Or. Do you think for someone like that, the, who is, he's 27, he's approaching what should be his prime? Yes. Do you think there might be a case of saying, well, I need to be at a club where there is, if not stability, at least a guaranteed option to be a a Champions League semi-finalist every single year Mm -hmm. and Chelsea, you don't really get that impression. Do you think that probably comes into
2: his thinking? It would in mind. I mean, he's, yeah. he'll be looking at Filipe Coutinho, won't he? With, with yeah. Green Eyes, yeah. Eden Hazard, Simple, Alexis that? Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I think. I, and let's be honest, Roman Abramovich is not spending the same kind of money. He's, he used to shop, didn't he, at the, at the top end of the market. He's shopping in, in the budget budget aisle at the moment. It's a, it's a strange turnaround, and it does lend weight to the the thought. That perhaps he is losing a little bit of interest in the Chelsea project. He's not trying to keep pace with United or City, and that is that is the big difference. Mm. With Barcelona, you mentioned Messi there, Seb. How long do you think can
3: Messi and Iniesta stay at the exalted level they're at at the moment? I think I think Messi slightly longer. I, Iniesta, I'd always say, and it, it, with a heavy heart, I say this because he's one of my favourite players of the last decade. I think he's already within his victory lap. Um, he's, I mean, he, he's. I think he's played something like sixteen, seventeen La Liga games this year. Um, but obviously, Philip Coutinho has arrived at, at Camp now for a reason, um, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's it's to replace him, which is a, you know, a mighty task. Messi. I, I don't know. I mean, I he's playing a slightly deeper role, isn't it? He? he is, and, and also the, the the system has shifted around him a little bit. Obviously, um, Neymar's him leaving has sort of left him as a more of a two with Luis Suarez rather than a kind of a, a tracking trident. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm aware that Messi has always said that he wants to finish his career in Argentina, um, and you <coughs> expect that probably to happen by the time he's thirty three, thirty four. Iniesta, I think, physically isn't quite what he was. Um, he also hasn't quite been the same player since Chavi retired behind him and who would be, to be fair. That's a, you know, it's a, a, a great piece to lose. Um, so I think we are approaching the sort of, certainly as a... Um, As a sort of collective of the the last remnants of that guardiola team we are approaching the end now Mm, but they're
2: still unbeaten in 31 league games (laughs) new club record
1: yeah uh which surprised me
2: by the way that that was a club record really yeah i thought they would have would have gone longer than that in in the past yeah um they're different under valverde aren't they they're they're not actually as good to watch They're, they're much more functional um very narrow um that makes them a tougher nut to crack away from home especially um so yeah, and, and I do feel that Luis Suarez is on is on the slide. I don't, I'm not saying he's he, he's gone as a striker, but it it wouldn't surprise me if Barcelona went in for uh, a younger centre forward in in the summer if they if they're looking to to revamp their squad. Um, look, I, they're top of La Liga by, by a mile at the moment, but they still don't they don't excite me like the Barcelona sides of old. So. I don't think they're going to win the Champions League this year, but I just, I, just, I can't fancy Chelsea against them because um, Chelsea have been annihilated by Watford and, and by Bournemouth in recent weeks, uh, among others. So, you know, that just tells me that, that they might not have enough to, to handle Barcelona, but this is not the strongest Barcelona side we've seen in the last decade, not by a long way. Mm. If that's the case, and we're looking for potential
1: winners... Bayern Munich, Seb, Mm. they're they're walking the Bundesliga, was it, 21 points or something ahead. Yeah. They therefore can really concentrate on the Champions League, play Besiktas same night. Yeah. What
3: do you think of them? It's funny, Mike, because what you think of Bayern Munich almost never changes. They're so dominant in their domestic league, uh, barring kind of the... um, the Klopp renaissance at uh, Borussia Dortmund, that they're, they're sort of, they're, they're almost a, a dark horse, which is a ludicrous thing to say, given the resources and given their starting eleven. I think, um, I mean, I, I agree with Adrian, I, I don't see Barcelona winning the Champions League, I don't think they're quite strong. Um, but in a competition without Manchester City, I look at Bayern Munich and I see Lewandowski, Robin, and Ribéry, and and um, oh, of course they've got Hamas Rodriguez at the, you know, at the, the point of their midfield. And they're a, a, an amazingly strong side. And, um, I, I don't know, there's something about them, maybe it's the kind of the memory of the, that sort of this, the disharmony at the beginning of the season. And I know Carlo Ancelotti is gone, and I know Jupp Hankos has replaced him, and that seems to have sort of um, healed some of the issues, mm. but they were still absolutely destroyed by Paris Saint-Germain, who I think are, you know, for all their uh, attacking wealth, a fundamentally flawed football team. Um, and so that's just, I, I don't know, maybe that's, um, maybe that's a kind of a recency bias working against me, but it just, there's, there's, there's too many doubts. And also, I think, actually, one of the advantages that English football has had this season is the top six is very strong, and so you have this really high level of competition week in and week out, whereas in the French League, certainly in the German League, these teams that sort of sit atop of their divisions and kind of coast from probably November or December onwards, there's a Maybe
2: it's a slight blunting, is, is how I'd put it. There's a little bit of a disadvantage there. And 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 we've got these stellar coaches, haven't we? Yeah. That, 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 I think it's an important yeah. thing to, to note. Um, I would put most of the Premier League top six managers ahead of Ernesto Valverde in terms of what they've achieved in the past. Um, so when you combine the the calibre of manager that Premier League have got with the vast amounts of money that they're now spending, we have have finally bridged that gap, I think, uh, on... The continent's elite. Um, but, I mean, of course they've got a chance, but I just think the Premier League have got a great shot at the Champions League this year. A mm, bit of a cheeky on this, but I'll ask oh, you. Oh, go anyway. on then.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, we mentioned the sort of crisis, what crisis moment yeah. at Bayern earlier in the season. Yeah. Carlo Ancelotti now is, is resting in inverted commas. <laughs> yeah. I've heard his name mentioned
2: as a potential successor to Larsen Wenger. What yeah. do you think? Cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, he's a, he's a superb manager. No doubt about it. I've, I've been a massive Carlo Ancelotti fan. I think that his Chelsea team was one of the best we've seen yeah. in the Premier League. I mean, you forget how many goals they scored. Um, very attack-minded manager, but at the same time, he does instill that discipline. Always been super popular with players. Is he too old? That's the question. I think I, you know, I, th- I just sense that when Arsene Wenger does move on. The Arsenal would go for somebody younger, what, like a generational shift. I do, yeah. I, just, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking, but I actually feel it would be in the club's best interest to just inject somebody that's a little bit closer to the players uh, in terms of age. And I I think that uh, that is that factor is hugely underestimated. A lot to be said for great experience, of course. Haven't been there and done it, but I also like. The injection having a younger guy that can kind of relate to the modern player, maybe that, that's what the Arsenal dressing room could do with a dose of. So, um, I would say that Carlo relocating to London is uh, more of a coincidence than a guarantee that he's ended up at Emirates. Yeah, so you're, you're on the recruitment panel then, then, Seb. Who do you, who you select?
3: Well, I, firstly, I, I probably discount um, Angelotti because. I think obviously you're not going to Arsenal. Are not going to appoint another another manager for a 20-year stretch. I think that age of the game is gone. However, I think you have to at least work on the basis that someone is going to to be there for five years. And Ancelotti, he's very popular with the players for you know a, a few reasons. He's a he's a coach's player in the sense that life is good under him and not necessarily always a stretch. And I, I think I think Arsenal need a jolt. They need a uh, they need some stress. Um, figuratively,
2: I agree. Yeah, I uh, think they need they need someone to instill real discipline. S- someone
3: exactly discipline. Someone with some energy. And um, I know it's a it's it's based on very little. I, I'd really like to see someone like and this won't be popular. I like to see someone like Eddie Howe given an opportunity to not necessarily take the job at least interview um, for it because I think someone like that. It fascinates me what he might be able to do with those resources and with that caliber of player because. I think at Bournemouth, um, you know, the the Bournemouth story even um, before his first Premier League season started was fantastic for him. But also what he's shown an ability to do is adapt and extract a level of performance out of a, a, a group of players without just reflexively going for the transfer market. Mm. And without just spending a lot we've of money, we've
1: got players in that team who are in the League
3: Two team, exactly which, which
1: start off at minus whatever it was nice. points. His
3: defence, for instance. I mean, you just—I mean—with the greatest respect to some of those players, no one would have ever have, you know, Premier League clubs would never have imported them into the league had they not been promoted into it.
2: I, I, yeah, I, st- I still don't see Eddie Howe making that jump. I think it's a big leap. For it that. is. It's and, a and, huge a, leap. And so. I think that that Arsenal will be looking for a manager with a more proven defensive record. Yeah. Because look, I've got I, no issue. Arsenal will continue to score bags of goals. What they need to do is tighten up defensively. So whoever does come in, I think has to focus on that aspect.
1: Well, that's it then, Jose Mourinho for (laughs) Arsenal, is it? (laughs) Written in the stars.
2: (laughs) I reckon
3: Pochettino jumping it
2: anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Enjoy negotiating with Daniel Levy for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Harry Kane, three fifty
1: million. Half half a billion, I would think. Pochettino. What what about Mourinho? Um, You know there are. (laughs) <laughs> two two people in this marriage between Chelsea and and and, uh, and Man United. Yeah. I well I always get the sense and it's an increasing sense that you listen to Manchester United fans on phone-ins and, and all that sort of stuff where they're still not happy at winning. <laughs> Is Mourinho a prisoner
2: of United's tradition? <laughs> Is he a prisoner? I don't know. I don't think I don't think so. I, He's not changed dramatically. I think he can, he will still be functional. I know that there's a responsibility on Mourinho to to try and instil a, a bit more of excitement to this Manchester United team. But ultimately, he just cares about winning. And he, he did win last year. OK, they were miles away in the league, but won, won two trophies. Um, now, I just think he's actually grappling and struggling at the moment to find the right formula. I think it's as simple as that. I don't really think he cares if it's exciting or not. He just wants to, to, to get to the right formula. Sanchez was an opportunist buy. I don't think Alexis Sanchez was ever part of the grand plan. He was going to City, wasn't he? Mm. Um, he just thought it's too good an opportunity to pass up. And now he's thinking, right, OK, what do I do now? And we're in that little bit of a process uh, where he's trying to work out the best. Because always it's, it strikes me with Sanchez that he's always best through the middle. Yeah. Uh, I like him from the
3: left as well, Mike. Yeah. I mean, the, the Manchester United thing is, is really odd. It's like, um, it's the equivalent of someone having their entire day planned out ahead of them. Walking down a street, seeing something in a shop window and spending all of their money on it because it's there and it's, it's ready to be bought. And you just, I mean, Sanchez is a, a fabulous player. I don't think anyone would dispute that. But you think of, he's 29. You've got um, Anthony Martial there who also, I think, probably looks best from the left-hand side. Marcus Rashford there, Jesse Lingard has played very well, Wan Matter is there, Henrik Mictoran was there. And you you import this player who um, is, you know, he's a, not addressing a yeah, the problem. But, but he's he, better than what they've got. But he'll be better, better for 18 months, Adrian. Yeah. He'll be, he'll be and, and then, but then what happens after that, and also what happens as a result of saying, we're going to pay you X amount of um, hundreds of thousands a week, and that's going to cause probably a, a, a fleet of contract renewals because... Yeah. Well, There's bound to be really a domino effect, it. isn't there? Yeah. And you, you just, yeah. it seems, Manchester United can afford it. Manchester United as a club are not going to go under as a result of signing Alexis Sanchez. But it's, it's such a its such a, a here and now, yeah. short term, I've got yeah. to have it. But, I, but isn't, isn't yeah. you know, one thing I just, I know it's a very small yeah. sample size,
1: but yeah. looking at that game at Hullisfield at mm. the weekend you could see signs of
2: some sort of relationship forming between him and Lukaku he's, 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 a, he's a really good player he, yeah. look, the if you looked at the stats before he signed he was and you think of Alexis Sanchez being a, a striker that scores goals mainly he hadn't provided many assists for Arsenal this season because he's been off it um, distracted clearly but he, has cre- he had created almost twice as many chances as any United player yeah. this season in a poor season by him Hmm. he adds a lot to the Manchester United side. Already, they are creating better chances because of him. He, he causes chaos inside the final third. And yes, he will he will tee up a, a stack of chances for Lukaku and others. And he'll chip in with his own. I agree, it's short term, but nothing's long term, is it? Not, not when Mourinho's around.
3: The luxury of being Manchester United, you can think that way. You don't have to consider resale
2: values. And you know. And it, um, look, if, if, if they don't... Pogba will knock on the door. Yes. Now, Pogba will knock on the door and say, look... Where's my, where's my, I need to be on the same money as Sanchez and it's up to United. Either they say, okay, we don't want to lose you or they say, you know what, yeah. we're going we're gonna to move you on. Mm. No place for you. And they will move him on. They'll probably get their money back and they'll, they'll just go for a younger model. So, uh, yeah, I don't yeah, Manchester United, uh, no player is bigger than the club. Mm.
1: Although when you've got an entire marketing strategy built around one player, i.e. Paul Pogba, that does cause complications, at least commercially for
3: him, doesn't it? I'd have thought so. I mean, I, I, I've got a great deal of sympathy for Paul Pogba, actually, because I, I look at the circumstances which brought him to the club, and I think he's a fabulous player. I, I, I would pay to watch Paul Pogba. Mm. I mean, he's, he's wonderful. Um, what I'd say, though, is, is that it's, it's quite strange that you have, in the same summer, you, you bring in a coach who famously doesn't tolerate individualism, even from extremely gifted players. And then you, you bring in a midfielder who, for all his merits, um, is someone that you have to allow to, to ad-lib within mm. the scope of a game to a certain degree. And you expect that to work. I mean, it's just, it's a very, I don't know, it just, it's always made me think that this was a if you, if you had a, if you had a player that didn't have Paul Pogba's name and his celebrity, and you described his profile to Jose Mourinho and said, right, this is going to be the centrepiece of your midfield. I can't believe he'd say yes. I, I let's do ninety million for bat- pounds for that. I, I just—it's very odd. And I, I just—I think I remember watching the Newcastle game when Pogba came off and looking at his expression. He just looked like a player that he, he didn't really understand. He, he understood why he—he he was taken off, but he didn't really understand why it is that his relationship with the manager
2: has kind of reached mm-hmm. this level. Whereas, if, if Pogba's course, attitude doesn't improve, I sell him. Simple as that. It's because he, he's, he needs to offer more. Look at I know stats on everything, but I think I think about that game, that his debut was it on a Friday night. I think, Southampton against I think, Southampton, yeah. he was unbelievable. Oh, he dominated yeah. the game. He absolutely took the Mick out of the opposition. How how often have we seen that? How many goals is he scoring? Not that many. How many goals is he creating? Not enough. For the for the for the money that he's on, he's not actually delivering. So he needs to knuckle down if he wants to stay at Man United and be the figurehead, the poster boy. He's actually got to play better. Um, now, whether that's down to Jose Mourinho to put him in the right position or not is another discussion. I, I think that is the case. He needs to release him. Um, Do but, you think... Uh, um, I mean, I, I, I think probably the, the richest part of... Richest period
3: of, of Pogba's career was obviously Juventus. Yeah. And I think back to, to what he played around. And he had obviously that, you know, Barzagli, uh chiellini three-man defence. Um, Benucci, he had two very experienced wing backslash full backs outside yeah. of him in Lichsteiner and, and Evra and had a very solid, stable midfield. Yeah. And you wonder whether part of this is, I mean, you look at the equivalent parts of the United team, yeah. and it's very ropey.
1: Well, is
3: <laughs> yeah. well, well, already to- talking openly about buying another midfield
1: player. Well, he needs to, because
2: uh, Matic is not a defensive midfielder. Yeah. What, think about Matic last year in the yeah. title, title winning side. he had Conte next year. Dante did, did the bulk of the legwork. It allowed him to be the marauding... I think he's a box-to-box player. Yeah, I agree. Myself. Yeah. And I think Pogba is a box-to-box player. What they need is someone high-caliber inside of them um, and better centre-backs. At the moment, unfortunately, United uh, at centre-half. It's, it's chaos. It's, it's, chaos. It's, <laughs> it's chaos. Well, it's signings yeah. of... of, of Backfire. I mean, Lindelof has got to come go down as a massive disappointment. Yeah. buy and there's, there's a
1: lot of talk about uh, Marcus Rocco even going to PSG. Yeah. yeah. Not sure what he would offer them. to Be honest, but yeah. and I think that's that's a broader point. I remember speaking to uh, Les Reed at Southampton quite recently, and he said, "Look, the difference between us and the big sort of four six is that we can't afford to be wrong when we pay a lot of money." They can afford to waste a lot of
2: money, and that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah, it Definitely. is. Yeah. What about, what, just a quick one on on Pogba. He was he would he would look. Do we not think that he would look brilliant in the City team? Yeah, I mean, in, I, I, in that in that Gundogan role, you've got at the moment you've got De Bruyne and Gundogan or David Silva. I think he would be sensational in that and system. Fernandinho as well, who's a, a still a first-class midfielder. Mm-hmm. It's he a, did really well as sort of left in a four-three-three,
3: didn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, I, I think I think the Pogba thing is all about the, you know the right blend within a midfield. I think if you if you added someone like, for instance, I don't know, maybe um, Verratti into that midfield, you added someone that. You know, it was a little bit combative and did a few of the things which Pogba will do, but isn't necessarily that good at. You give his game a little bit more freedom. And I I think I think that's the key. I think it's building a platform rather than expecting Pogba to be this sort of Mm -hmm. um, turnkey solution to a a midfield problem at United, which has lasted 10 years, Mm -hmm. really. Let's focus first on on Wednesday night in Seville. Yes.
2: Uh, How do you see them getting on? Uh, how do I see them getting on? I, I, I don't think Sevilla are, are particularly strong this year. Montella is a manager that hasn't really convinced since, since taking over. I know he's not even in the job five minutes, but uh, he's come under quite a lot of stick. Um, I think that Manchester United are a, a superior side. So I would imagine they'll go there and actually win and, and take a cushion back to Manchester United. it might be close. I don't, don't see Manchester United um tearing them apart but I, th- I think they've got enough to to go there and win mm-hmm.
3: yeah i think so i mean there's an interesting statistic actually about she about severe and it surprised me they, they've only lost once at home since i think november 2016 in all competitions Can i changed my mind <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna butt in and be like you know <laughs> I, uh, what worries me about them is that they're kind of they're wedded to an attractive attacking style of play montella um I, I can't really think of a you know a, a strong period of his career since probably Fiorentina. I mean, Sampdoria didn't go well for him. Milan, he was a little bit of a victim of the takeover and the sort of the uncertainty was created by that. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think um, I don't think they're a particularly strong team. I think they are. I think their naivety will uh, do for them over the course of two legs because I think um, for all the criticism Mourinho receives when he comes across a team that have a kind of um, a benevolent ideology. He's usually at his best. He knows how to nullify that. So, I, I think that's what... And also, Manchester United stronger. Player for player, they are much stronger. Mm. And Sunday, Chelsea? Could they push
1: Chelsea
2: out of the top four? Or help to push them. Yeah, of course they could. Yeah, I mean Chelsea are in a fight, aren't they? I don't think Chelsea are guaranteed top four. I think Arsenal are out of the top four. You know, I would I would concede that at this stage. And then then it is down a straight shootout between between the others. Um, I don't think there's much to choose between any of them, to be perfectly honest. Um, Manchester United. I never I've never bought into the theory that they're definitely the second best team in the Premier League, even when they sat in second place. I didn't, didn't feel they were the second-best team. Uh, I think Liverpool, Chelsea and Spurs could all, could all lay claim to that above them. Um, so look, it's, it's going to be a fascinating game and uh, it's a crossroads game really, isn't it? I think if Chelsea were to lose, there yeah, might be a little bit of a panic-up uh, at Stamford Bridge and I'd, I would wonder whether the board would push the button. I don't think they would on Conte, but uh, they would be very nervous. Mm, we spoke earlier on about
1: potential managers who, who could move up the chain, if you like. I think if we take as red that Arsenal are going to go through in the Europa League, it yeah. would be very interesting to see how Celtic get on defending that 1-0 lead in Zenit. What about Brendan Rodgers? For his career's sake, does he need to leave Scotland
3: at the end of the season? Need is, is, a, is a strong term, Mike. I, I don't know whether he needs to. I think eventually with Brendan Rodgers, um, the penny will drop in the sense that He's done extremely well in Scotland. There's, there's. I know people sneer at the World Celtic Guaranteed League. Anyway, I think you look beyond that and into the detail of it. He's been very impressive. He's arguably the most impressive Celtic manager, you know, in recent memory. Um, however, what does it add up to? I mean, what does it show? If 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 Brendan Rodgers' career, um, you know, if the associations with him became slightly negative towards the end of Liverpool, there became a few questions about his ability to organise a defence. How is winning? another Scottish Premiership going to remedy that. What does it ready him for in terms of, you know, a job further up the ladder? And Celtic are an enormous club, but within the limit, there, there are limitations to what you can achieve there. Um, and he's achieved all of it already. Um, I, I think it has to be the right job for him. I, I think um, Brennan Rogers needs to be somewhere where there is a, a focus on possession football, where there is a large transfer budget, where there are, you know, productive forwards, importantly, because that, you know, his great Liverpool team, um, he fell just short. That was built on the damage done by Luis Suarez and, you know, the the, the
2: sort of the, the chaos
3: that attacking.
2: It produced. was, yeah. I, it was. Yeah. I just don't think we should dismiss the part he played in it. I, I'm not, oh, not saying absolutely that's what you're not. doing. No, no, it, no, no but, absolutely but, not. But, yeah. but I, I think that you know, Liverpool fans they haven't had it as good as they that, had it yeah. under Rodgers, have they? Mm. Since. I think I, I still don't think they're at the same level in terms of being
3: a yeah. I think he the, the the best of his side is still superior to yeah, at Liverpool side now which is very attractive and can be brilliant but yeah. can also be awful I'd, um, I'd
2: love to see Brendan, Brendan Rodgers get another um, yeah. big job I think job he will, the Premier I, think League. He will I think he deserves it I, I, I'm a big fan of Brendan, Brendan Rodgers I think he's a really innovative coach um, yeah. a, a much improved tactician
3: he's a very educated coach as yeah. well he's, he's mm. on, someone who's actually gone beyond the walls of, of the UK to further his education which mm. is unfortunately a, a bit of a
1: rarity
2: and if one of the Premier League big boys don't come in for him I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if a top overseas club gave him a chance
1: well he he, he has maintained contacts in La Liga I know he goes over there quite a bit uh, speaks the language yeah. he could fit in really nicely there but it's a question of okay you're going into a, a Valencia or somewhere like that you're probably on a hiding to nothing whereas yeah. You know, if you go to a big club in England, he's got, well, he's almost got an excuse to fail. You know? No,
2: Luis Enrique is heavily linked with Chelsea, but yeah. Brendan Rodgers has a, has a link there as well. You know, mm. historically, could do okay there. But I'm not saying he's going to get that job. But if I was on the on the board looking for potential replacements, he would be in the top three. Mm. We're thinking about irreplaceable managers. Mm. Pochettino's pretty way up there. Yeah. Did he mis-
3: make a mistake in the FA Cup? Really hard to... I I, I think, presumably that's about team selection. Yeah. I don't think so. I I think the mistake he made was when he talked a week in advance about the pitch. He he created an excuse. I know that the pitch was relayed and and everything, but when you have players that aren't necessarily that involved week to week um, and you start talking about things like, well, you know, it's going to be difficult to play on that and it's, you know, it's a game we're not really looking forward to. That always makes me feel slightly uneasy because it's it's as if you're pre-preparing the excuse. Um, I think the team selection was absolutely fine because Spurs are you know, in a very meaty part of their fixture list um, three days off Juventus as well There's, you, know, you someone like Moussa Dembele you can't play twice in the same week and expect his level of performance to continue and Dembele is critical to, to what Spurs do in the Juventus calibre of game yeah. um, I think one of the problems is that Fernando Llorente hasn't really worked out as he should have done so every time you, and, and because normally Tottenham orbit, you know, so wholly around Harry Kane and Christian Eriksen, that he's got a sort of a spine which can't really be replicated. So it, it's a mistake in one sense, but it's a mistake with a legacy in the past, in that you know Tottenham supporting, you know, acts just aren't quite what they need to be yet.
2: Mm, Deli Ali and his uh, problems with gravity. No <laughs> right, Deli Ali is a serial diver. Oh, <laughs> What? I, I, no, I, I'm going I'm I'm to die on this hill. Later. <laughs> well, well, I, I, look, anyone, who's, no, anyone who says Deli Ali didn't die didn't for that penalty has been fooled because he clearly dived. He clearly leaned into. it. I've seen the seal of when that, oh. that that knee just scraped, just scratched him. He was like a he was like a, an Olympic ski jumper. He was he was he was practically horizontal. His legs were straight. He he manufactured the content as he does so brilliantly. Well, that's De- part, uh, that is part, you know, although some of us hate it, De- that's part of the game. Deli Alley is is the best diver in English football. The best. And by the best, I mean the worst. Oh, do, they, I, uh, do we just accept that that is a skill now? Go on, Seth, go do for it. We just it. accept that's a skill. Okay, let, me, let, me, let me
3: say this. I, I think. Um, Firstly, Deli Ali has created this reputation for himself. He has created a situation where every time he goes to ground under any circumstances, people are going to get out the screenshots and the stills and the. You know, it's like Sahar, it. isn't it? it a, a, exactly that. Um, what, Another one. What,
2: second, second best, diver. What,
3: but what I'd say <laughs> is that sort of if any yesterday, for instance, if any other player goes down in that situation, it is it's a stonewall penalty. It, it's absolutely a penalty. I mean, how it, can it be? Because there's contact, and because no also, contact and... does
2: not. Did it knock him off his feet? It did knock him off. No, it, didn't. His feet. it there, didn't. There are there are instances. It didn't. He jumped off his feet.
3: No, 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 no. That's 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 your Arsenal talking.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm, no, I'm, the... I'm very anti-diving. I don't, I don't, I just, I just don't like it.
3: I think we all have to be anti-diving, but I think there's there's a separation between um, moments in the past where Dalí Ali clearly has dived, Ooh. and I, I'm a Tottenham fan, and I hate it. Ooh. I I, I, won't, I won't defend him for. You know, it's sort of an okay. egregious simulation. Okay. But I'll call this an honourable draw. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and,
2: and the and, cameras and I'll, and I'll, off. We'll continue.
1: This.
3: And I'll get back at
1: you, Aid. Uh,
2: <laughs>
1: uh, nights out that you have known as a player. <laughs> right. This is the this is a big weekend yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. for West Brom yeah, yeah. against Huddersfield. Yeah. You know, the, the conventional wisdom is that Alan Pardew's got two games. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, you must have. Yeah. Read the reports from Spain with a, with a wry smile.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look it's, look, it's a recipe for potential disaster, isn't it? Taking a football team overseas uh, into a place that's known for its quality nightlife. Look, Pardew made a, made a few mistakes there. You shouldn't have sent them to Barcelona. You should have took them somewhere really boring Um, somewhere bleak yeah somewhere (laughs) bleak where where you (laughs) Dudley where you have to hang out it's good I like the team bonding aspect of it but somewhere where you just can't go out Um, it was asking for trouble Um, yeah look footballers will be boys will be boys and, yeah, I've been yeah, I've broken curfews, teams have. I remember going on a post-season tour in China and Hong Kong, and, yeah, we were told to be in bed by 11, and most players um, rolled in at 7am as we were boarding the coach <laughs> to go to the airport to China. And on that flight, most of the players were being sick. <laughs> this was post-season, though, and that's the difference. These guys are in a relegation scrap. When you're in a relegation scrap, you're bottom by a mile. You cannot... You just cannot go out, and, and if you do go out, you must be whiter than white. Mm. Um, so these guys are idiots, and they've let Pardue down, and, and it, it basically gives us the ammunition to say, well, has Pardew got control of the players? Do they really respect him? Uh, based on like, this story, you'd have to say that his senior players Gareth don't Barry. have enough respect for Pardew. You know,
3: I, I, I remember when the story broke, and they, they hadn't named the players. I think Gareth Barry would have been... Maybe the 29th or 30th player on my list. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm being naive, maybe I'm being sort of Corinthian in my, my view of the game, yeah. but I just thought that was yeah. you know, you're bottom of the league table,
2: yeah.
3: um, you are an England international formally, and you have more experience than most of the rest of squad put together, yeah. and you behave like that. And right. if, they, if they lose on Saturday, they are toast, aren't yeah, they? Exactly. They're gone. They're, 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 they're a poorly constructed team yeah. that. Um, I don't know. I, I understood why Alan Pardue came in because he has a reputation for, for creating new manager bounce, whatever that really means. But you know, look at his record. It's certainly there. And Alan Pardew without new manager bounce, I, I don't know what well, that got, is.
2: He's got a poolish squad, hasn't he? Yeah. He's got a squad that's built to be solid defensively and he's trying to play the Pardew style. and yeah. It's just not quite clicked together. Um, yeah. look, if Albion fans, I think, let off the players too much at the weekend. Like, if I was an Albion fan, I'd have been furious. Um, Rightly, yeah, yeah, it puts shame on the club. Some people might laugh it off. I don't think you should. It's um, it's really unprofessional.
3: Mm. I think you can laugh it off when it's a, a, a you know a teenager, or a, a player who, who's just got his first wage packet and he's just got his first big contract and he doesn't quite understand life and the realities of being a professional. But no excuse for the players. Uh, they as were well. sen- senior players. Well,
1: well, they right? they yeah, broke the law yeah. Yeah. allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who knows? Um, the other big relegation proverbial six pointer. Uh, Brighton Swansea mm. uh, I was at Brighton on Saturday. I really like the way that Chris Hughton yeah. manages he 's very pragmatic uh, probably going to do just enough to keep him up. What about Swansea? I know you've watched quite a bit of them
3: yeah I, it's a it 's a funny one. I mean um when Carlos Carver Howell first came in he he sort of had two or three weeks of wild experimentation. every formation yeah. was different he He had a front two he played a sort of a, a weird four two 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 formation at Watford one. Um, He seems to have settled on a back five Um, and, you know, formations are important. What what I say that the main difference in Swansea is that they, under Paul Clement, who I think actually did a very good job keeping them up last year um, and he was a little bit of a victim of what happened or didn't happen over the summer, um, there's a little bit more freedom. I think a lot of those players got bogged down in the structure Clement tried to implement and there was a lot of... I don't know. There, there, there was very little expression. There was a lot of nervousness. Anytime a you know Swansea player, Swansea midfielder would Cruyff turn out of trouble towards his own goal, he'd be booed out of the building. And that, for a player, I'd imagine, mm-hmm. is not that great. No, um, not
2: great environment.
3: And they look. They, they haven't turned into nineteen seventies Brazil. Um, <laughs> but there is there are a few individual performances which have spiked. Notably, Jordan I I think, has started to play really well mm-hmm. um, despite uh, you know uh, facing quite a lot of detractors. Um, Sam Clucas suddenly doesn't quite look like a £20 million pound player, but it started to give a very tangible contribution. Alfie Mawson looks back to the player he was at the end of last season. Mawson is a, an excellent central, defeat, uh, central defender. And whether Swansea stand in the division or not, he will, because Ooh. he's good enough to. Um, but I think um, I think this might be uh, a case where a change of voice and a change of style, Carver is a more laid-back character than Clement. Clement was very... Um, not confrontational, but he, he's a very direct guy and, and, and very very serious. Yeah. Carval's not. Yeah. And um
2: he's Mr. metaphor, isn't he? We like him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love an analogy, doesn't yeah. it? I mean he's a character. You, I think one um, key thing that a lot of clubs don't take into account is that to get the best out of a team, the players have to like the manager. Yeah. They have to like them. Mm. And if you if you if you think they're you know too boring, too intense, too too whatever, then then it can affect the morale, it can affect the way they play. I just think they like him, and it, they're, they're running much harder, aren't they? that yeah. you can visibly see the effort levels have gone through the roof and they, Jordan I oh yeah, think's they, been outstanding. Mm. Adrian, Absolutely
3: brilliant. one of the things I've always wondered, and this might just be one of those sort of outsider assumptions yeah. that people like me make, but when a manager is strict and heavy on the detail, mm. is it true that at a certain point, you just tune them out as a player. You just stop listening.
2: Well, it depends, yeah. Not it, it, too... You, you, can use, you can use other teams Well, I Yeah, I mean, you probably use... You're talking to the wrong person because I didn't like to consume too much information. I right. preferred... If I could turn up ten minutes before the game, put machine pads on, and go out without thinking about it, that, that I would, I would be just as good as if I had two hours to sit down and prepare and think through every scenario. That was Light me. Out, okay. Every every player is different, and I think the art of management is to to know your players and yep. to know uh, which players to give the details to and which which not to. But yeah, that, of course, and and uh, but but players as a rule, if you're winning and you're playing well, and the manager is giving you loads of information all the time. You're happy to accept okay. it. It's when it goes the other way, you're like, all right, mate, just let me play. And, and that is where the, that's where the mm. issue can lie. Yeah. okay
1: We've got some questions from the viewers and the listeners. Um, Managerial one, okay. which follows on quite nicely. Uh, Ray Element. Assuming Albion sack Pardew,
2: who, if anyone, can save us? <laughs> no one. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's gone, yeah. I think. They've I, I, the I, trick, haven't they? I yeah, mean, I, mean mm, I don't even think... If you got Poulis back, and I'm not saying that they will get Poulis back, <laughs> but Poulis has never been down. He's, he's the Houdini yeah. of the Premier League. Uh, even if you got him back, I think they've left themselves too much to do because they need to win games now. And I just don't see them winning enough games. Um, they haven't got enough goals in that team, no. I don't think. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah, there's not one name that can save them it's down to the players look they've they've done a great escape before haven't they West Brom was it under Brian Robson a few years ago but yeah I I look at that team and I don't I don't see it happening right sorry
1: a couple of similar questions Stu asks uh, do you feel that the Pogba spat with Mourinho is genuine or is it media fabrication
3: Oh, uh, I, I, I think it's probably multiplied by the media a little bit, but that's the nature of the beast. I think there must be something there. I mean, if you, if you look at the body language of the people involved and also, well, look at the games. I mean, you don't drag off your £90 million midfielder when you need a goal, if all is well. I mean, it, uh, clearly there's some substance to it. Mm. Yeah, do
2: no, I, I do agree. Um, yeah, I don't think it's irreparable. But, but it, I think it, Jose Mourinho, it's probably the right time to lay down the law a little bit to, to Pogba. As what we talked about earlier, you've got to raise your performance levels. Mm-hmm. Um, Pogba will say, you need to get the right players around me. And eventually, hopefully, they, you know, from a United point of view, hopefully they will, they will repair the damage. Um, but it's a critical few weeks. If it goes continues to, to drift along and, and, and stagnate or go pear-shaped, then I think Pogba will be sold. Really?
3: I think he's become almost an avatar for a much bigger problem. I mean, to, in, in his defence, I think there are other issues which need remedying, but that still makes the issue between him and Mourinho real enough. I think. Mm, mm. There's another nicely tossed grenade coming your way, Aid.
1: Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> Barat. It's in the light of the prank played on Conte okay. uh, in the whole pre-match press conference. You yeah. know, where the Italian journalist turned up with a shirt. Mm. Um, are journos like that and those who seem to set up fight between managers any good for the profession, our profession, yeah. or football?
2: Are, they any, are the journalists any good for it? No. I, I mean, that's just too obvious, wasn't it? It, it, was, it went down like a lead balloon, didn't it? Mm. I think you've got to be a bit more subtle than that, haven't you? As a, I mean, You've been a journalist for many, many years. Yeah. I just think that that was a really naive thing to do because you're never going to get a bite out of Antonio Conte there. We know that Conte and Jose Mourinho really don't like each other. Um, you just have to prod them a little bit, or You go around the side, don't you, just to prod them mm. in, a, in a different kind of way to, to get that storyline going again. Um, I just thought that was a, that was a pretty lame yeah, attempt. I, I wasn't there,
3: but you, you know, it's the sort of thing that you can imagine people start looking at their shoes when stuff like that happens. It's incredibly disrespectful. It's a place of work. First of all, it's, it's incredibly disrespectful to Antonio Conte. And secondly, people are there to do their job. And I remember reading a, a Daniel Taylor book some time ago. And he was so the season he spent following Man United and Alex Ferguson. And he, he used to talk about um, the flow of a press conference. And, uh, you know, you guys have been enough to, to recognize that. And that's true, and less so with some managers. But so this guy, he, he puts his lame gag ahead of, what, a room of 30, 40, 50 people who are there to, to file copy on deadline to transcribe a press conference and and really for a YouTube prank or whatever, I mean it's just I don't think it was on.
2: Yeah, no, it was, it was, poor, it was poor journalism. No. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you you've got to be a bit smarter than that to yeah. get the, these top level managers going, get extract the quotes that you want.
1: Okay, Brian Cannon Hunter, is winning trophies overrated? They seem to matter less and less compared to staying in the Premier League or getting into the top. Well, four.
2: yeah, look, yeah, it, it feels. Oh, we're that just way. about to speak about the League <laughs> Cup final. It does feel that way because. Um, managers will continually sacrifice the quest for trophies won't they uh, don't get it i mean money money's just taken over the game isn't it? and that is it, you know i still love football I, I can't get enough of football but it taints football the the way that money has taken over and mm. uh, we, look, we, we could talk about that all day and all night and all night unfortunately but um for me and I think for players for actually no for a lot of players money money probably does does become mm. more important I mean, it should be about the trophies shouldn't it mm. let, <laughs> let, let's talk about the final then who wins
3: and why uh, Manchester City because they're better be succinct I, 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 honestly I, I'm, I'm not you know trying to be a snarker. I just mm. I don't see a way in which Arsenal win that game I just think um, uh, Arsenal will be two weeks off um, being dominated at Wembley by Tottenham and um Manchester City are a superior side. They are, you know, okay, uh, they're dealing with a few injuries and Gabriel Jesus is still not fit, but um I don't know how I don't know how that defence and that midfield contains uh
2: Manchester City. No, yeah. who are you looking for to actually play out their skin? Well, I think From an Arsenal I think that, that Arsenal can win the game. I mean, they beat a uh, okay, albeit or or inferior City team last season in the semi-final at Wembley. That's not good. as good, That's not right. as good this season. They had a great tactical game plan that day. Deservedly beat Manchester City. Um, I, I would say Aubameyang is is the is the key. Um, Aubameyang one v one with Nicolas Otamendi, who's a player that I still don't rate. Who, even though he's had a much improved season, he still dives in. still very right He still dives in. Yeah. He still gets his positioning wrong. He still leaves too much space in behind him. Um, I, th- I would anticipate Man City dominating possession. And if Arsenal have got any wits about them, they would go direct, miss out the City press, and release Aubameyang in behind. And, and when he's 1v1, we've seen it already, he's clinical. So, um, and there was a goal that, against Tottenham that... that, that, that the flag went up incorrectly. It's a lovely pass. Yeah, he scored one one, uh, 1v1 goal from a similar pass. It's those scenarios that I can see Arsenal hurting City. Because the City do have weaknesses. They are at the back. I co-commentated on the Basel-Man City game. Imperious going forward. But Basel could have scored four or five goals. And against uh, a better team, the opposition would have scored. So, Arsenal have a chance, but they're clearly underdogs.
3: (laughs) do you think... You talked about sort of... uh, Adopting the approach around Man City's weakness and skipping their press. Do you think Wenger would do that? I mean, he's kind of famous for, for kind of, um, you know, dancing with the one that brung him mm-hmm. uh, tactically. Mm-hmm. I mean, do, do you see him actually? Every, every
2: time they've played City, they've, they've been more direct than they usually are. Okay. Um, but but like, it's, uh, the, the bigger question is, uh, are Arsenal good enough without the ball to contain Manchester City? And most people would probably say no. Absolutely. Looking at that Arsenal
1: defence, this could get messy. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.